You're listening to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome Podcast. Welcome to episode 16 of The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Today, I'm going to come at this thing a little bit differently, a different angle than what we've done so far. I'm joined today by a film producer and former professional MMAer who fought in the UFC and was the winner of Spike TV's The Ultimate Fighter. Now, truth be told, not only is he one of the most fascinating people I know, I'm proud to call him a friend. And to say that we did train for a moment or two back in the day, I'm proud of that. Well, on that topic... Here's something I'm not proud of, and I need to own this, and I'll be really transparent about this. You know that saying that you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable? Well, the truth is, I never really got comfortable being uncomfortable training with James Lightning Wilkes. He is an elite mixed martial artist with several black belts, and yes, we did train for a time. And he's an amazing trainer, coach, and teacher, but there is a reason why he's nicknamed Lightning. He has incredibly fast hands, and I never really got comfortable with him using them to punch me in the face. Just as I never really got comfortable grappling with him on the mat after he gave me the hands. And I distinctly remember him telling me, Jim, you better get comfortable on this mat because if you ever get into an actual fight on the street and it goes to the ground, you're dead. Man, that struck a nerve really struck a nerve and I thought about it and then I thought about it some more and then I did what I think most people would do if they heard that I quit I stopped training not proud of that not then not now but I'm being very transparent about that luckily my man did not quit on me as a friend because he has some amazing information and science and strategies to improve what you eat how you feel and how you perform He is the mastermind behind the brilliant documentary, The Game Changers, and a tremendous person to run down for this podcast. Now, let me say this. This will not be for some of you. I know this. James knows this. I'm only asking that you keep an open mind and then ultimately decide whether or not to embrace or reject what you're hearing. If you've already made up your mind that your team meet and you're not coming off that, that's fine, but you probably should just keep moving. However, if you're curious and you do have an open mind, this is a tremendous listen and a great investment of your time. Episode 16 of the Reinvention Project with James Wilkes is coming at you right now. My man, Lightning, it has been a minute or two, James. It is so good to have you on this podcast. First of all, catch me up. How are you and your family doing in these crazy times? Yeah, we're doing really well now, Jim. Uh, We actually all got COVID uh, about six months ago. And uh, th- that wasn't a great experience, to be honest, but we, uh, we all got, we, you know, we're healthy and so we got through it okay. All right, so tell me about that really quickly because you are somebody who's been extremely careful. We know how insidious the virus was. Exactly how did that come to be? What was that experience like and how did you come out of that? Yeah, well, I mean, I was being very careful, as was my wife, um, but unfortunately, um, I mean, not unfortunately, but we've got a, an 18-year-old um, and so he was not being as careful as we would have liked. Um, you know how that younger generation probably doesn't oh, think yes. it's as serious as it is. And so he was the first one to have it in the house. And then my stepdaughter, um, who's 20, she uh, ended up getting it. And then my wife and then myself. And the two little ones tested positive but had no symptoms at all. And so that's how it got in the house. Um, you know, I was in bed for like four or five days. And uh, for, for about a month or so afterwards, pretty fatigued um, in terms of getting back to working out. 
and uh, I just felt quite lethargic and tired, but uh, after about a month, I felt fine. Did you, and not to belabor the point, and I'm, I'm not here to judge, I've got a college-age son, and I, I know this also, James, like the kids in college, I'm not saying all the kids in college, but a lot of the kids in college at that time were kind of like, you know what, it's not that big of a deal, it's the flu, let's get it and let's get it over with, and then we can get back right. to doing what we were doing, which was not the mindset. I'm kind of curious, were there any other after effects or lingering effects, a loss of, a loss of smell or taste or anything like that? Uh, I had the loss of taste, but that came back after about six weeks or so. And um, I did have a weird chest pain a couple of times uh, in that following month, uh, just briefly. But um, no, everything now seems back to normal. I did, I did lose significant strength um, and endurance. So I think I was doing pull-ups, you know, sets of 12 uh, with a 25-pound weight before COVID. And then afterwards, you know, within a few weeks after, you know, I'd been in bed, literally couldn't do three sets of 10 pull-ups with uh, just body weight. Um, now now I'm, I'm back up and past where I was before doing pull-ups with uh, you know 45 or 70 pounds um, added on and, and doing fine. But uh, there was a couple of months there where it was pretty significant. Well, so as a high-level elite world-class athlete, what, were, what was that like for you? Was I was that scary? scared. Yeah, I was scared for a while that it was uh, going to be sort of long-term or permanent. And uh, really was bothered by it and thinking, you know, I thought uh, I'm eating well. And, uh, and there's actually been some evidence um, showing that, you know, eating well and, and having a better um, body weight and so forth reduces your, your risk of, um, you know, consequences from the symptoms. But so I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to be uh, fine. I probably won't even get this, won't even feel like a flu or anything. But it did hit me pretty hard for four or five days. And then I was, I was scared for a while that... Um, that strength and endurance wouldn't come back, but uh, fortunately it did. This, I'm so glad to hear that it all came back. Anybody listening to this should be terrified because I, I know you. I know your lifestyle. I know your choices. I know the way you conduct yourself. The fact that it could hit you and hit you that hard should be terrifying to anybody listening if you're not taking it seriously. But I'm glad that I have that update. I'm glad that you're fine and the family is fine. I want to I share something. I remember when you and I first met years ago, and you were training and you were still a fighter and you and I were doing some work together. And then you said to me, you want to be a movie producer and you had an idea. And at that time, I thought to myself that that's a really big swing. Like I believed in you inherently and I believed in it, but it was such an ambitious swing. And yet you pulled it off. You pulled in the likes of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jackie Chan, James Cameron, Novak Djokovic, Chris Paul to mention a few. An unbelievable undertaking. So for those who don't know, what was the journey of pulling putting together the Game Changers documentary like for you? And then how did your life change as a result of that? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a complete change for me, right? Going from professional fighting and, and training Navy SEALs and Marines and armed combat. Uh, I literally woke up one morning, uh, 2 a.m., because I'd been reading this research, I'd been injured. And I thought, well, how can I, um, you know, how can I recover from this? What can I do with my time? Came across a study about the Roman gladiators uh, and then started really showing that they were eating uh, almost exclusively plants, if not exclusively a plant-based diet. And I thought, this can't be true. Started digging into it and decided at two in the morning, I woke up, that's it. I'm going to make a documentary and tell everybody. And, um, you know, people were talking to me like, well, how are you going to do that? You've got no experience. So I went onto YouTube, learned how to do the three-point lighting, um, talked to the uh, director of photography from The Ultimate Fighter, asked him which camera to buy, didn't have much funds at the time, so I bought a used camera off of Craigslist. And it just sort of grew organic free, organically from there, right? I think if you're a professional fighter, 
you're used to um, hard times and um, getting knocked down, getting back up again. And so it was definitely a challenge, you know, raising funds, getting connected to people in the film world, getting connected to the sort of these leading scientists, um, whether it was the head of nutrition at Harvard, the head of anthropology at Harvard, the president of the American College of Cardiology. Um, and it was definitely a, a, day, a big change for me. But I think I took some of those, that sort of mindset from fighting, nothing's going to stop me. And uh, yeah, I went on to become the most viewed documentary of all time, uh, with at least 75 million, uh, maybe even a couple hundred million people seeing the film, uh, 1.5 billion media impressions, 40,000 organic press articles written about the film. And according to metrics on Google Trends, interest in plant-based eating more than tripled worldwide within weeks of the film hitting Netflix. So it really had a, a huge impact. I know many of you are small business owners, and I also know that many small business owners are busier than ever before because they're focused on managing and growing their business. Because of that, they can't always spend the time they need to go recruiting. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to find and hire the best candidates for free. I love LinkedIn Jobs. I'm on this site every single day. And you should be as well. In fact, you can get started by posting your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of 740 million professionals. Simply fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, the skills, and the motivation you need. Then use the simple tools to filter and prioritize the top candidates that you would like to interview. I'm telling you, this product is amazing. I love it. LinkedIn Jobs will help you hire the right person for your role and your first job post is free. Just visit linkedin.com slash Rome. Once again, linkedin.com slash Rome to post your first job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Absolutely amazing response that you just shared. I think that there's so much in that response that I like and that I respect and I admire, but that response in and of itself, I mean, that is mind-blowing. That is a worldwide reaction. I mean, James, how did that make you feel? Because when it happened, it happened quickly. Yeah, it was, I mean, we thought it was going to be big because of the folks we had involved and the marketing we were behind it, but I think the timing was just right and uh, it was a bit of a shock how, how well it went. Not only, you know, there's a lot of credibility behind the film with the Department of Defense, uh, Defense Health Agency accrediting the film, the first documentary and still the only documentary ever accredited by the U.S. military. Um, you know, and then that went on to sort of the, um, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So we were really pleased that the credibility of the film was being recognized by these world's leading organizations. And then, you know, just the, it, it was tough, to be honest, anywhere I went, I couldn't go to the, the gym or a restaurant or Home Depot or wherever. Um, people were just coming up to me saying that they changed their diet. So it was, it was really pleasing in terms of the sort of social impact that it had. On a personal level, it actually became a little bit frustrating. I'm sure you've experienced the same on a larger degree. You know, people coming up to you, interrupting your meals at a restaurant or whatever. My man, I don't, I don't know that I ever had it as bad as you. And what's really funny is you and I would hang out and you and I would do business together and you would train me. And this was before the documentary dropped. You know, and I mean this respectfully, my man, you're like the best guy ever. But that was not an issue. That was not an issue. And I know you were not in it for that either. I mean, you were in it for all the right reasons. You were not in it to become famous and glamorous, although you were always very handsome and very smart. That must have been something else, man. That must have been really something else for you not to be able to have a meal without somebody interrupting you, and maybe for the right reasons, right? But still, you were a very private person. 
Yeah, I like to keep it private. In fact, I didn't even want to be in the film. I just wanted to produce it. But the, the writer and then the other producer, my partner, Joseph Pace, he said, no, we've got to tell your story. That's going to resonate with people. And so I said, okay. So I didn't really want to be in it, ended up being in it. Um, yeah, it's been challenging. You know, you're just, you're putting your underwear on at the gym in the locker room and a guy starts talking to you before you've even got dressed. Um, and so that's, uh, that can be pretty frustrating. All right. So in terms of your story, there's a reason why they wanted to put you in there because I mean, you have that story and you can articulate that story really, really well. Like there, there is this thing like you, when I first met you, you were already eating pretty healthy, but at the same time, you kind of went through a lot of what other people were going through. For instance, you once walked into a restaurant with a friend, you realized there was no meat menu or meat dishes on the menu. What did you think when you saw that? And then what did you do that day? Yeah, I remember there was, uh, it said chicken on the menu, but it was spelt differently. And I said, well, why, why is the chicken spelt like that? And they said, well, it's not made of meat, it's made of plants. And I said, okay, what, what real meat do you have? No, we don't have any meat. And, you know, my buddy Tom Bunbury is 6'5", 265 pounds, bodybuilder. And, uh, you know, and I'm obviously a, a professional athlete with the MMA. And uh, we looked at each other and said, well, okay, what eggs? You got some eggs? No, it's a, it's a completely vegan restaurant. And we looked at each other and just literally walked out. I mean, I wouldn't have eaten a single meal that didn't have some animal protein in it because I thought you needed that for strength and for health. So, um, you know, once I started seeing the research, then my mind started changing. Okay, but to that point, though, how much of this was the thinking? How much of that was about you being a professional athlete? But even even as a man, right, you have to have animal protein in every single meal. Yeah, totally. I think it's sort of double, right? <clears throat> if you're a man, you feel like you've got to have the, the meat and the animal protein. And if you're an athlete, you think you need it. And you put those two together. So male athlete, I mean, there's no question in, in my mind at that time that you've got to get animal protein three or four times a day if you want to even want to maintain your muscles. Uh, and so that's, that was my mindset at the time. And I think with sort of this notion that men are hunters um, and that we're supposed to be, you know, eating these animals and like, and it's sort of at a base level, it makes sort of sense, right? You feel like, well, I eat the muscle tissue of the animal and that's going to give me muscle. But it's a bit like thinking, well, if I want to be smart, I should eat smart people's brains. And it doesn't really work like that. <laughs> All right, so we got two things working here, right? So just bottom line, this true or false, you need animal protein to build and maintain muscle. That's a common criticism of plant-based diets. Is that true or is that a fallacy? Uh, totally false, yeah. All, all protein essentially is originating in plants and animals are just the middlemen and they're doing you a disservice, right? So that they're absorbing some of the helpful nutrients, uh, phytonutrients, um, they're using up the fiber and you're just getting, you know, the protein and some fat and, and that type of thing. You're, you're getting some minerals and vitamins, but you're always better off just going to the source and cutting out the middleman. All right. So then again, how much of this was cultural? I mean, were you not bumping up against people who are thinking you're not tough unless you eat meat? Yeah. I mean, fortunately, you know, I sort of, uh, I'm sort of comfortable with my confidence and my toughness. And so it is actually the case that, um, there's research that we found along the way showing that, um, meat eating is a very hard habit to change amongst men, right? So amongst women, you know, eight out of 10 vegetarians and vegans are female. But if you look at those that were, have gone meat free, five out of six people that go meat free end up going back. And the number one a reason is social pressure. And the number one sub reason is the male partner in the household. So people, when a, when a behavior like this uh, is tied to your identity, right? And, and let's be honest, a lot of young men, especially are sort of insecure about their masculinity. They feel the need to engage in, in so-called masculine behaviors. And there's nothing much more masculine than, you know, throwing a steak on the grill. 
and eating some meat or going to the steakhouse to celebrate a business uh, deal. So that doesn't impact me too much. If people think I'm not tough or not manly or whatever, that's up to them. Um, so I was sort of able to go on my own path, if you will. Well, you can remind them that you do have five black belts and then that might <laughs> remind them of your toughness. All right, so listen up. Wall Street has been lying for years, saying that 7% is a good return on our stocks, when it's not. They also want you to believe that trading is so complex, you need a financial advisor. Also not true. Real people are making real money. I'm talking 30, 50, even 100% a year on their money, trading stocks even when the market is tough. Carnivore Trading is an anonymous team of elite Wall Street strategists. They are legends among Wall Street heavy hitters, and now they've gone a bit rogue. What they're doing is they're allowing everyday folks like you, like me, to see and mirror their explosive trades. Does that sound too good to be true? All right. Well, Carnivore will let you see the trades they're making right now for free. Go to getourtrades.com, use the promo code Rome, and get two weeks for free. This is exactly what I did. If you join, Carnivore guarantees you'll get five times your subscription fee or double your money back. So go to getourtrades.com, promo code Rome. Again, getourtrades.com, promo code Rome. See website for guarantee terms and conditions. Past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. Did you expect people to be as emotional and as attached to their meat eating as they are? I mean, it's one thing for it to be habitual, but is it also kind of emotional? Oh, I definitely think it's emotional. Um, but it was surprising, you know, some of the, like I said, the, we got a lot of um, credibility from the large organizations, but people really pushed back against the film before they'd even seen it, really getting amped up emotionally um, and sort of felt attacked that now we're coming out saying that you don't need all of these products and, and people have been eating this way for years and years. And uh, it's really part of culture and people don't like this, uh, this type of change. All right, so I, I can go back to the meat in a minute, but not to be so elementary, but if we're going to educate some folks and we're going to talk about this, what are the biggest benefits of a plant-based diet? I mean, one of the biggest things if people care about their health, obviously, is that you're reducing the risk of the major chronic diseases that are killing us, right? So uh, heart disease, cancer, diabetes. And then from an environmental point of view, it's the number one thing that you could do in terms of uh, reducing your, uh, your impact on the environment, right? Bigger than changing light bulbs or using less water or anything else is switching to a plant-based diet. Just water, for example, those who switch to a plant-based diet save on average 1 million liters of water per year per person, you know, for the, for the water that's going to feed the crops that then feed the animals and that inefficient system. And then in terms of other things, there's some athletic performance advantages. And of course, for a lot of guys, um, they're going to like the fact that there's potential sexual performance advantages too uh, with, with better erections. I was going to say to you, when you talk about performance, optimal performance, I'm talking about athletic performance, I'm talking about business performance, and then we could talk about performance in the bed. I mean, are we talking, I don't want to get too graphic, but the last time you and I had this conversation, I thought that you actually referenced the circumference of the dong. Maybe you didn't put it that way, James, but <laughs> are we talking about that or what are we talking about here in terms of sexual performance? Yeah, so there's a, there's a device that um, it's the, probably the favorite scene of the film, right? So we we have the lead delegate uh, of urology for the American Medical Association run an experiment. Granted, it's only a very small experiment with three three people, so that's not enough to um, make any really strong conclusions. 
But the evidence about blood flow uh, tied to diet is called the postprandial lipemia. Postprandial post means after, prandial means the meal, lipemia means the fat in the blood. And you can, in one of the experiments in the film, we show what that difference looks like on these uh, these football players. And then you can see that manifest in arterial function. So basically, uh, when you eat a sort of a high fat animal uh, meal, um, you'll get impaired arterial function uh, for up to six hours. And that manifests quite well in the, um, in the penis because the arteries in the penis are some of the smallest in the body. And so it's sort of known as the canary in the coal mine, in the penis, right? Like if you've got problems, uh, if you've got erectile dysfunction, for example, you're almost certainly uh, later on going to have um, significant heart disease. And so in the short term, you can actually see this after a meal. And yeah, it's, uh, it's the circumference. And it's also the circumference under pressure. So it's actually the ability to maintain and get uh, you know, bigger, harder erections, basically. Glad I asked. And James, <laughs> uh, as an athlete, as an elite athlete, and you, you started this journey, journey because you were injured and you were trying to come back, what kind of changes or what kind of an impact did you notice when you started to change your diet? How did your body react and what was recovery like and performance? Yeah, I mean, this is like anecdotal, of course. I think it's backed up by a lot of the research. But uh, in terms of my endurance, um, there's a there's a, a sort of training drill with the battling ropes, right? Where you've got a 50 foot shipping rope and you're swinging it up and down, creating these waves. And at the gym I was training at with a lot of professional and collegiate athletes, um, if you got 10 minutes, you got your name on the wall. Uh, I'd only ever got eight minutes, and that's as a professional, wow. you know, UFC fighter. And a few guys uh, had got uh, 20 minutes, uh, which was just amazing to me. But six weeks after going completely plant-based, you know, it took me probably a month or two to transition gradually and plant-based. And then I was, when I decided to just give it a try at 100%, after six weeks, I was able to go an hour straight. Uh, I still could have kept going. My hands were bleeding uh, because of the, the blisters, you know, breaking from the ropes. Um, but in terms of endurance, felt way, way better. You went from eight minutes. You maxed out at eight minutes to an entire hour after you made the change. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't believe it, honestly. Insane. Uh, and again, I'm not. I'm not saying that that's uh, going to be typical for everybody, and it's only anecdotal. Um, but for me, nothing else had really changed other than my diet. So it's all I can attribute it to. And then understanding what I understand now, having spent a little over three thousand hours reading peer-reviewed research on nutrition, I can certainly see the logic behind why that's possible. All right, Better so when... blood flow, faster recovery, more nutrients, more oxygen to the uh, and oxygen to the muscles. Yeah, but so dramatic. I mean, from eight minutes to one hour. Now, when you talk about that transition you made to plant-based, what was the transition like? Was that challenging for you? Uh, so I did it gradually, which is what I recommend for most people. Um, now, that could be sort of increasing the amount of plants on your plate and cutting down the amount of meat. That could be trying uh, plant-based once a week or something like that, or maybe one meal a day. Personally, what I did is I cut out uh, red meat to start with, felt pretty good, uh, ended up cutting out chicken, was still eating fish. Um, cut out dairy, uh, cut out fish, and finally was eating some eggs. And then after a while, I just didn't even feel like I needed them and was feeling better as I went along. And, uh, you know, it did take, I would say, four to six months for my wife and I to really sort of it to feel normal, right? Rather than trying to think, oh, what am I going to eat today? Um, but I think that gradual process is better for most people. Some people can do it overnight, uh, but I think that's challenging both behaviorally. And also physically, we've got the microbiome, which is the bacteria in the gut. And that can take a while to change if you suddenly change your diet. 
Um, that can cause like gastrointestinal distress and some gas and bloating if you suddenly switch overnight and start throwing in loads more fiber. But I did it gradually. And uh, yeah, it did take a while behaviorally just for it to feel normal. Uh, but now I couldn't imagine ever, ever going back. I would imagine. It seems like the best way to do it. Let me ask you this. You know, the other criticisms would be, well, a healthier diet certainly must be a more expensive diet. And frankly, it's going to be a pain in the ass. I mean, are either of these things true? Well, I mean, the, th the first one in terms of cost, I think if you go out and eat at fancy uh, plant-based restaurants or you want to buy lots of packaged stuff that's already made, that tends to be expensive anyway, right? On an omnivorous or a plant-based diet. Um, the, the, the fact is if you, if you buy the, the plant foods themselves, you're buying uh, lentils and beans and rice and, and things like that, sort of staples, um, those are actually cheaper than meat, right? And there was actually research done. They looked at what would happen if someone tried to live frugally on a diet that had half as much meat as the standard American diet versus someone that tried to live on a completely plant-based diet. And they found that on average, the person on a plant-based diet would actually save $750 a year. And so it's a bit of a myth. Um, it can be expensive, again, if you're going out to fancy restaurants. Um, but if you want to live frugally, you know, even if you just go to um, a fast food restaurant, which I'm not saying is the healthiest, but the, the bean burrito is nearly always cheaper than the chicken or, or the beef burrito. So mm. There's some evidence right there. All right, so what I'm hearing from you is it doesn't have to be all or nothing. If you start to make the right changes, even gradually, even that's going to be an improvement. So where does that leave us with meat? Like, is meat okay in moderation? Is there a responsible way to consume it? Or should we just not eat it, period? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's not all or nothing. We like to say it's all or something because the research shows that any shift towards getting more whole plant foods in your diet can be beneficial for health uh, and performance. Um, and so, yeah, we're not trying to tell people you've got to be vegetarian, you've got to be vegan. Um, I think the evidence going from, say, let's just say, for example, 50% plant-based to say 90 or 95% plant-based is extremely strong. I think the evidence going from 90 or 95 to 100%, although I think it's there and out of the precautionary principle, I would choose to, uh, you know, eschew and not have uh, meat products. Um, but I don't think that people need to go all the way in order to have a benefit both for the health and, you know, for the environment as well. So it's not all or nothing. It's definitely all or something. Hey, listen, this was not easy. I mean, there was a lot of pushback and there was a lot of pressure and a lot of people who stood to lose quite a bit if you made an impact, right? There, I guess what I'm saying is there were not, it's not just like, I like meat. I don't want to eat meat. I'm talking about big pressure groups and business interests. For instance, in terms of marketing, Big Meat, it, are they doing anything differently, for instance, than what Big Tobacco did back in the day when they glamorized smoking? In fact, when Big Tobacco had to take a step back, was it not Big Meat that rushed in to fill that void? That's right. I mean, they're using, funnily enough, they're using the same playbook, the same tactics, and, and in many cases, they're using the same companies uh, that are actually uh, promoting and, and dealing with this sort of shifting in the science, right? They're sort of putting out these studies, which is what... Uh, the tobacco industry did. They're funding these studies, putting out flawed studies, confusing people. I think if you present enough confusion, right, you don't have to prevent super, present super, super strong evidence. If someone's already eating meat and they like eating meat and they've got experience and memories of eating bacon at the table with their parents when they were kids and, you know, people are already emotionally attached. All they've got to do is present enough confusion. They do that both by um, infiltrating the scientific research and then also with their marketing, right? They used to use the athletes to promote smoking. 
that shifted to the athletes promoting uh, meat. However, I would know, uh, point, point out that in the last couple of years, things really are starting to change. I think that people are realizing that plant-based is better. And at the end of the day, these companies um, are trying to make, maximize profit, right? And so they're seeing where it's going. So even some of the very large um, meat producers are actually investing in uh, plant-based companies, uh, these plant-based meats, or even now producing them themselves. So we are seeing a significant shift, and that's quite promising. No, we are seeing that for sure. Let me ask you something that you and I talked about a couple of years back, but just to reset this, is there any doubt in your mind? Is there, in fact, a link between meat and cancer, for instance? So it depends on the type of meat, right? So processed meat is uh, considered as a class one carcinogen, like a definite carcinogen according to the World Health Organization. And um, uh, red meat is considered a class two carcinogen, which is a probable, probable carcinogen. So it does seem that the processed meats are worse. Red meat does seem to be a problem, although they, you know, they're still looking into more evidence. Um, so again, just out of the precautionary principle, it would be better to like reduce or eliminate that uh, just in case. And I think that people are recognizing both from the health perspective and the environmental perspective, we need to shift this way. And just, just going back to that point about the growth here, Credit Suisse just did an analysis um, recent, last week came out with a report looking at the trends, showing that they think there's going to be a thousand fold increase um, from uh, today until 2050 in terms of plant-based meat and dairy consumption. So these aren't just a bunch of sort of hippie vegans saying, you know, we think the world should change. The economics are there, the health is there. And in terms of... Uh, yeah, the cancer and heart disease, the leading killers, um, you know, one in three people, uh, one in three adults will end up getting heart disease. And a significant factor there is meat. So we really do need to, to shift in this direction. All right. So, James, before you go, since we're talking about this not just being hippie vegans, I'm really curious about this. You've done a lot of work with the military, with special ops types forces. You train and you teach. I'm curious about the military, for instance, like when you work with the military, where does the military come out on this information? Are they eager to get it? Do they use it? What's the reaction of the military been to it? I would say the military has had the strongest reaction to the film out of any organization, to be honest. I mean, to accredit the film, the first documentary ever to be accredited, which means that every sort of doctor and nurse in the U.S. military could watch the film. We also developed the quiz that they can take and you can get continued medical education credits. And what they're concerned about, right, is a couple of things. One is the healthcare costs. So, you know, a, a large portion of the US military is now overweight. In fact, they're also struggling to take on new recruits because these teenagers, you know, are so overweight from lack of exercise and also the standard American diet. Um, so they're concerned about these healthcare costs that are in the, the you know, millions uh, in the US military. The, uh, the other thing is um, they're having to retrain people that can't pass their physical training test. So in, in, a, in one case, you might be uh, spending a million dollars training a soldier, and then that soldier can no, no longer even pass the physical fitness test because they're so out of shape, largely due to the diet that they eat. And they're going to have to sort of get rid of that soldier and now retrain a new soldier, another huge expense there. So it's a, a financial issue. And then also in terms of what they call warfighter effectiveness, uh, effectively the performance of that warfighter, how efficient are they and how athletic are they at doing their job, um, of which many of the jobs do require athleticism. And uh, they're, they're concerned about that. So it's quite nice to be uh, working with folks in the military, uh, which we are, and um, 
and realize that they're not too bothered about these myths and, and about how it looks. They simply want the optimal fuel and they recognize that shifting in sort of plant forward direction is the way to go for these soldiers. All right. So in terms of jobs, what about corporate America? Has there been a demand for this information within corporate America as well? Absolutely. I mean, I've been uh, giving some talks for you know, Credit Suisse, for example. They're recognizing that, um, you know, if, uh, if employees are sort of uh, have better energy, are healthier, then they're more productive. And, uh, and then, for example, if you look at Whole Foods, uh, their employees or associates, uh, if they are, if Whole Foods is self-employed, uh, self-insured, I'm sorry. So they're self-insured and they, uh, they want their employees to be healthy. And so what happens with some of the, the sickest employees if they've got diabetes or heart disease, they actually get sent on a one-week retreat to learn about plant-based eating and come back and often they're getting off their medications. Um, they're preventing having to go into an expensive surgery. So from a financial point of view, in terms of healthcare costs, and then also from a pro productivity point of view, corporate America is recognizing on the whole that we need to shift and get employees healthier, both with exercise, uh, but also with diet. And, and the key component there is, is eating sort of a plant forward uh, plan forward so really quickly, when, when people reach out to you, are you hearing stories like, I was able to get off this medication, I was able to get off all of these other things that were not healthy, that were toxic? I mean, are we talking about that dramatic an effect? Absolutely. I'm hearing anecdotally, and of course, everyone should do that under the guidance of their healthcare practitioner. Um, but even if you look at some of the studies that are done, type 2 diabetes, people are getting off their um, uh, metformin or even insulin in many cases, literally within like four or five days, uh, coming completely off of it. Now, I'm not saying that anyone should do that without uh, supervision. But if you look at the research, it's, it's incredible um, what a huge impact it can actually have in getting people off of those medications. So, James, finally, if, if somebody's listening right now and they're just they've never really experienced it, they've been intimidated by it, they don't have the knowledge, they now have an open mind to it, but they're not really sure they want to commit to it. What advice do you give to somebody like that? I would say just look into it yourself and, and give it a try and take it slowly and see how your body feels. You know, don't think of it about excluding anything. Think about it in incorporating more plant-based options and that'll sort of crowd out some of the, the less healthy things. And one other thing I'd like to point out is that people talk about veganism versus plant-based uh, or whether plant forward or vegetarian or whatever. And all these terms can be quite confusing. Right. There's no good switching over to eating um, Oreos and soda and French fries. These things might all be vegan and you could sort of call them plant-based. But what we're talking about is trying to incorporate more whole plant foods in your diet more legumes, whole grains, nuts and seeds, fruits and vegetables, trying to get those in more in each meal uh, and perhaps uh, some meals completely plant-based. That's the way to go. Uh, don't just think about veganism um, because that's its own sort of whole thing. Um, I might be focused around ethics or it could mean you're eating a bunch of junk food too. Um, so that would be, take it gradually, uh, look into it yourself and uh, take it one day at a time. My man, when was the last time you had an Oreo and was it a double stuff? <laughs> it is. Me. I don't think I've had an Oreo for years. To Dude, be you've never had an Oreo, have you? Uh, I have had one before. Yeah. I don't think about a double stuff. And again, I, I, even within the sort of plant kingdom, I don't think it's all or nothing and all or something that it's got to be all whole foods, right? So some, occasionally I'll eat a vegan pizza. Um, or occasionally I have one of these plant-based burgers uh, or whatever, you know, sometimes I'll eat a, a vegan donut. So it's not about perfection, right? Like perfection is the enemy um, of good, right? So 
don't feel you don't want to feel restricted that you can never eat any of this stuff again some people can stick with like completely whole foods and, and do just great um but if i came over to your house and you're like hey james look i've made you this uh this vegan donut my wife made these vegan donuts for you because we know you're vegan you know i'm not going to turn it down i'm going to eat it right and enjoy it and so that's the thing we've uh, it's all or nothing in terms of animal foods and then all or nothing in terms of whole plant foods as, yeah as well. yeah but what if i said i james come over to my house i made you a frozen pizza would you eat that <laughs> if it's got no if it's got uh, plant-based cheese on it instead of regular cheese uh yeah I, i'd eat it again it's not all or nothing try and eat well 80 90 of the time because that's what's going to count right what you're what you're doing most of the time not what you're doing occasionally you know i say that in in all jest you know, i talked to nate diaz last week on the program and he was talking about the fact that he is plant-based that coming out of one of his fights he had a big bowl of pasta and he said he was not right for days like it jacked him up badly he just was not right for days and it just wasn't worth it so i think it's really interesting so you also before you go you announced the game changers institute earlier this year exactly what is that about So that's a research, education, and advocacy platform promoting plant-forward eating. So we're putting some, um, you know, uh, literature out in the peer-reviewed journals. Um, we are working with the military on on things I can't quite talk about at the moment. Uh, working with a large sporting event that's coming up in a couple of years. We just partnered with the Green Sports Alliance, which uh, every major league, you know, uh, NBA, MLB, NFL are all members. Two hundred stadiums and venues. We became their official. Uh, nutrition partner so they're about the greening of sports for example um they were changing light bulbs in stadiums you know they're trying to save rainwater that's all been done largely and so the the real focus now is to get um the teams and the stadiums and and the millions of fans shifting in a more plant forward direction so we've became then uh, become their nutrition partner for that um so yeah just continuing to promote plant forward eating and uh, and putting the information out there so that people can make their own decisions. And then I promise you this is the final thought. You know what's amazing? This is a reinvention podcast and I wanted to have you on to touch base because I thought this information would be so useful in people kind of reinventing the way they think about their nutrition, but in reality as I step back from this, you really did reinvent yourself completely. I mean, you're consistent with what you do and what you think, but again, you were a professional athlete and then you were training other people to become more athletic it can get in better shape and then you work with special ops. I mean, you completely maybe not did a 180, but you reinvented your life. Was it a journey that just you kind of came upon or was this by design? Was this conscious? And how do you do this? Yeah, I mean for me it was uh it was totally just because I got injured, right? And I thought what can I do with my time and and start looking into nutrition. But it definitely was a, a real reinvention of myself from sort of coach and and professional fighter to filmmaker and producer and then now you know being the executive director of a non-profit and then we've got some other exciting things coming out next year as well uh, which I can't talk about yet so constantly trying to uh, reinvent myself um albeit still using the fighting as a sort of springboard right there's still some cohesion there between being athletic and trying to be healthy and then and then the diet so there's definitely some cohesion um but yeah I think that's important to keep growing is to be able to reinvent yourself from doing one thing to the next and sort of uh you know be able to um you know just do new things. I want to be so clear about this. You made one of the biggest movies ever and you knew nothing about filmmaking. You literally went to YouTube and you bought a used camera. You knew nobody in the business. You knew nothing about filmmaking when you started. That's right. Knew nothing about filmmaking. Knew no knew, knew nobody in the sort of nutrition world. 
uh, didn't have the funding. That's another big thing, right? Is being able to raise funds because we end up spending millions of dollars. Um, and so, yeah, you just got to put yourself out there, um, you know, try and connect with the right people. That's a, a huge thing. People, you know, we said, we're going to get James Cameron. We're going to Arnold Schwarzenegger. No one believed us. And you've just got to keep grinding, right? And just keep contacting people and keep contacting people until you get through to them. And then, you know, you can learn so much these days on the internet. Um, I mean, I learn nearly everything on YouTube, right? Like how to fix the washing machine, <laughs> how to, uh, you know, how to lay carpet or something. Not that I've uh, done that for a few years, but yeah, there's so much you can just learn uh, these days with access to the internet. Um, and then also getting in touch with people. You know, the way I, where I get in touch with everybody is go on to these social media pages, see who they follow, see who those people follow to see. And then you can finally, you'll finally find someone that you know that knows someone that knows someone. So rather than going through their agents, right, in terms of a, a documentary, there's no money to be paid out uh, for these people being interviewed or James Cameron. So the agents aren't going to put you in touch because 10% of nothing is nothing. And so you've got to figure out ways to get in touch with these people. And that's best done through, uh, through social media. So it's just constantly grinding and putting yourself out there and, and setting a goal and then just making sure it gets done. My man, this is some of the best information and inspiration and energy that you could ever find. I, I can't say I am so proud of you and so proud to call you a friend. And I'm so great, so grateful that we could get caught up like this. You are the absolute best, James. Thank you so much for that. And I really appreciate it. And I know people listening are going to benefit so much from that. Well, I wanted to say one last thing, Jim, is that you actually were a big inspiration in what I did. I watched your work ethic in preparing for your shows and uh, realized how much work you put in in order to be prepared. And so that actually helped give me a little bit of extra drive and make me put a little bit more work in when I was making the film. Yeah, so I, I, really I, can't, I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that and what that means to me because I always got great inspiration from you as well. Lightning, you are the best, my man. Thank you so much for that. And I appreciate everything. Good luck with everything. And I know we'll do it again soon. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Honestly, James Wilkes is one of my favorite people ever. I could not be happier for him and his success, nor more proud and more pleased of what he's done and continues to do to make the world a better place. Once again, as I said at the very top, this particular message may not resonate with you. Maybe you are a meat eater and you're really not interested in his documentary or what he has to say about the benefits of a plant-based diet, despite the science that he has to back it up, despite what it would mean to the environment overall. Look, I'm not here to tell you you're wrong to feel the way you feel. I eat meat. I'd be a hypocrite if I judged anybody else who did. But I am trying to improve mentally, physically, and emotionally. I'm trying to reinvent myself and my body. So I am curious about anything that will make me feel better, perform better, and look better. And a better and different nutritional strategy would certainly do all of that. Now, diet aside, there's another incredible reinvention angle to James that we talked about that absolutely blows my mind. And that's how after he got hurt as a professional fighter, he was able to make a hard pivot into becoming a filmmaker. I would say it's astonishing, except I know the man and his intellect, his drive, his passion and discipline. So I'm not astonished, but it does blow my mind. He said it himself when he got the idea. He didn't know the first thing about filmmaking. He didn't know anybody in the industry. He had no funds. He bought a used camera on Craigslist. 
And I've got to be fully honest about this, too. I worked out and spent time with James at that time. And he would tell me about this project that he was working on and that he was going to pitch the likes of Arnold Schwarzenegger and James Cameron. And I was like, yeah, really? Like, how do you even know these guys? And he would say, well, I don't. Not yet, but I will. Again, I would never, ever bet against James Wilkes. But I have to admit, I wondered if that dream was realistic or just a pipe dream. But he proved me and everybody else who said that it was an impossible dream all wrong. Again, I'm talking about somebody really smart, really engaging, but somebody who knew next to nothing about what he was trying to do and knew next to nobody in a fierce industry. But through drive and passion and perseverance, grit and relentlessness, he taught himself. A former professional athlete turned filmmaker, all off an idea that came to him in the middle of the night. If that's not a story of incredible reinvention and inspiration, then I don't know what is. And to be there at that time and see him manifest it and see it ultimately come to fruition was an amazing thing to see. If you have not seen James's incredible documentary, The Game Changers, I would encourage you to do so. And my thanks to him for sharing that amazing story right here. If you appreciate this podcast and the types of things you're hearing week to week, I would encourage you to subscribe to it, review it, and share it because all of that helps the cause. As always, thank you so much for listening and being a part of this journey and conversation. Stay after it. Stay in the fight, and I will look for you all soon again right here on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. See you next time. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.